This is the Regular Pastor Podcast, a podcast devoted to regular pastors and regular churches. My name is Landon Coleman. I am the regular pastor, the preaching pastor, the teaching pastor here at Emanuel Baptist Church in Odessa, Texas. Normally on this podcast, I'm joined with uh, joined by other regular pastors. Sometimes that's a, a crew of guys that I work with here at Emanuel. Sometimes that's other regular pastors I know and respect. Uh, usually those guys are close by geographically. Sometimes they're far off, and we use uh, technology to, to visit with those guys. Today's a little bit different. Today I'm flying solo, and this is probably never going to be the normal format of this podcast, but it is something I've wanted to try for a while now, and it seemed like a good time to give it a go, and so today I'm going to talk a little bit uh, just by myself, and I'm going to talk to you about preaching. Specifically, I'm going to talk about teaching men to preach. This is our uh, third season of the Regular Pastor Podcast, and one of the things we've done this year is we've had uh, dream sponsors each week. Usually that's a restaurant, which tells you something about me and the guys that I have on the podcast. Today, in light of the topic, the topic is teaching men to preach. If I had to pick a dream sponsor, it might be Truth for Life or Grace to You, simply because Alistair Begg and John MacArthur are such great preachers. And not only are they great, but they've been great for a long, long time. There's a a tremendous aspect of their ministry that's just summed up in the word longevity. Uh, And because of their longevity and because they have shared their preaching ministry online and on the radio, they have taught, by example, a lot of men to preach. And so if we had to pick a dream sponsor, that's who it would be today. The reason I'm talking about this issue of teaching men to preach is that At Emmanuel, we've started something called the Emmanuel Institute, and the Emmanuel Institute is based on Paul's charge to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2, where Paul tells Timothy to take the things that he's heard and to entrust them to faithful men who can then pass them on to another generation. And that doesn't just happen in the context of of a seminary classroom that ought to happen in the context of a local church. And so what we've done at Emmanuel recently is we've taken our elders Bible study that we would normally have at an elders meeting, and we've opened it to the men of our church or the men of our community. And the topic that we've started with this semester or this session is preaching. We're going to teach guys in our church how to preach. As we started that, I really had no idea how many guys would be interested in something like that, how many guys would show up for a preaching class. We had tremendous uh, response. We had a tremendous group of men who wanted to sign up and come and talk about, learn about preaching. How do I preach? Some of these guys would like to preach from the platform at some point. Some of them already do. Some of these guys teach Sunday school classes Uh, Some of these guys would like to teach Sunday school classes. And so we had a great group of guys. One of the things I told them on the very first night is that I've been preaching for almost 15 years, but this is the first time I've ever set out to teach preaching to anyone else. And slowing down, not just to preach and to prepare a sermon, but slowing down to teach 
others to preach is a humbling task because after about 15 years as a preacher, you just are starting to feel like you're getting your feet underneath you and you're realizing all the things you really do need to work on and improve on and you're starting to realize all that you don't know. And so in our class, I had to step back from the normal process I use of preparing a sermon and uh, studying for a sermon and delivering a sermon. And I had to think about how am I going to teach these guys how to do this? How do you teach men to preach in a local church context? And so the way that we've done it is we've broken it down into three distinct sections. There's a a preliminary bunch of things that we wanted to talk to the guys about. There's a lot of stuff relating to sermon prep that we wanted to talk about. And then at the very end, we're talking specifically about delivery before we let some of these guys actually actually try what we've taught them. So under the heading of preliminary, maybe the most important thing that we told these guys, just here's some preliminary things you need to know before you even think about preaching is that preaching cannot be your identity. You you can't wrap your identity up in being a preacher or a Bible teacher. Martin Lloyd-Jones said at the end of his life when he was asked, aren't you sad you won't get to minister the word anymore? He said, I did not live for preaching. A life spent in communion with God is the only life worth living. And that comes from what many Uh, a person that many think of as the greatest preacher uh, in centuries. I didn't live for preaching. I lived for communion with God. That's got to be basic as you think about this task. You also got to understand what preaching is. Um, There's a lot of stuff you can find online if you just Google preaching or sermon that will pop up that isn't real, biblical, faithful exposition of the scriptures. Not everything that people call preaching is preaching. A lot of it's just entertainment and performance. The job of the preacher is to communicate God's word to God's people. Uh, It's more than just talking. It is communication, but it's more than communication. Again, Lloyd-Jones is helpful. He says, preaching is theology coming through a man who is on fire. There's theology and doctrine and truth wrapped up in preaching, and there's a certain level of passion and unction. Uh, We've talked with the guys a lot about that. It's a a hard thing to define and pin down, but I like the thought from Lloyd-Jones that preaching is theology coming through a man who's on fire. Stott describes the, the basic task of preaching, John Stott, as connecting the world of the Bible to the world of today, and I think that's very, very helpful for guys when they're thinking about what is it I'm actually setting out to do in a sermon or in a lesson. Uh, his, his preaching book, Stott's preaching book, Between Two Worlds, he just says it's connecting the world of the Bible to the world of today. And so the question becomes, how do I best build that bridge between the Bible world and the modern world? And I think the answer is expository preaching. We, we talked in this class about the differences between expository preaching and topical preaching Um, But I think the best way to do that, to build that bridge between the Bible world and the modern world, is expository preaching. And that means, number one, the text controls the message. That means, number two, you've got to give consideration to authorial intent and context. And then third, you've got to explain the text 
and you have to apply the text. It's not just a running commentary on details and linguistics and history. There's actually got to be application so that you bring all of those things from the Bible world into the modern world. There's a lot of benefits to expository preaching when you're just thinking about the preliminary understanding that you've got to have when you're learning how to preach. The biggest benefits in my mind are that expository preaching allows a congregation to rise above the intelligence and the, cre- uh, the, the creativity of the preacher because it exposes them to the Word of God verse by verse, passage by passage. And if you're not doing that, the preacher is just sort of stuck in the rut of his own understanding and intellect. Expository preaching also serves as a corrective to those who are prone to go on tangents and ride doctrinal hobby horses and go along with sort of the the modern flavor of the day in preaching. Expository preaching keeps you tethered to the text. It keeps you tethered to the Word of God, and it can serve as a corrective in that sense. So if you're going to teach somebody to preach, you've got to make sure that they understand what preaching is. Part of that definition, in addition to talking about expository preaching, you've also got to talk about the role of the Holy Spirit. And as Baptists, that's not something that we probably talk enough about, but it's something that you've certainly got to talk about when it comes to preaching. The Spirit is the one who inspired the biblical text. The Spirit is the one who illumines the text as we read it and as we study it. The Spirit is the one who gives unction to the preacher so that there's passion, there's, there's this aspect of being on fire as you're communicating the Word of God. The Spirit is the one who creates holiness in God's people and specifically in the preacher. One of the tasks of preaching is not just to, to study the Word and to teach it or to preach it, but as you read in Ezra 7.10, to set your heart to do it, to obey it, to be a holy person. And the Spirit's the one who creates that in our lives. The Spirit's the one, according to Jesus, who gives conviction of sin. We can't convict anyone of sin in our preaching, but the Spirit can convict people of sin through our preaching. And ultimately, the Spirit's the one who's active in regeneration. The Spirit gives people eyes to see, hearts to receive, ears to hear, opens their minds to the truth of the Word so that they might repent of their sin and believe in the Lord Jesus. He causes people to be born again, and the Spirit blows where it wishes. And so we've got to be aware of the role of the Holy Spirit. And then lastly, we've got to just think about who is even qualified to stand up and preach. Again, this is all under the heading of preliminary things that somebody needs to understand when they're learning about preaching. Uh, It's not just people who are skilled in public speaking. It's not just people who have Uh, the highest degrees or the advanced degrees. There's got to be an eagerness to do this, a desire, a a, a burning in the bones to want to stand up and talk about God's Word. There's got to be a willingness to accept responsibility as a teacher. Teachers, the book of James says, will be held to a higher standard. Not many of you should teach. And so there's got to be a willingness to accept that burden, that that greater responsibility. There's got to be a willingness to study Again, to Ezra 7.10, he set his heart to study the law of God. It's hard work 
to study and somebody's got to be willing to take that on. They've got to be willing to obey. They've got to meet the, the character requirements of a teacher. They've got to seek. Paul talks about this in Galatians. They've got to seek to please God, not man. If you're just a, a people pleaser, you can't be a preacher. So there's qualifications here for who can stand up and preach the Word of God in a local church context. All that's under the, the heading or the umbrella of just preliminary things that need to be clear and need to be set out before you even talk about the role of preaching and how you actually do it. So the second heading that we've talked about is preparation. So we went from preliminary considerations to preparing to preach. And the biggest piece of that really is exegesis and study. We don't want to be eisegetes who read meaning into the text of the scriptures. We want to be exegetes who pull the meaning of scripture out and then we're able to communicate it to God's word. What this really means is you almost can't study preaching without studying hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is the the art slash science of Bible interpretation, and it's essential that somebody have a, a basic understanding of hermeneutics before they study the Word of God and then stand up and preach the Word of God. This is a, a challenge in the 21st century, and I love T. David Gordon's book, Why Johnny Can't Preach. He explains in that book that, quote, we are no longer careful, close readers of texts, sacred or secular. We scan for information. We don't appreciate literary craftsmanship. Exposition is therefore virtually a lost art. We don't really read text to enter the world of the author and perceive reality through his vantage point. We read text to see how they confirm what we already believe about reality. This explains in part, Gordon says, the phenomenon that many Christians will read their Bibles for 50 years and will not have one opinion that changes in the entire 50-year span. This is especially true. Such a great quote. It's especially true for people who do a lot of reading online. We're not careful, close readers of text. We just scan for information, and the information that we're scanning for is the information that confirms what we already believe. And when you get online on social media and you're looking at search engines and they figure out who you are and your personality and uh, all the uh, metrics online are, are telling them what you want to see and click on and read about, they just continue to feed you things that confirm your bias. It's a, it's a dangerous circle for people who are digital readers. So one of the things that you've got to do as you're learning how to preach is you've got to learn how to exegete the scriptures. You've got to learn how to read them carefully and faithfully without just going into a whole course on hermeneutics, you got to know who wrote the book that you're studying. When did they write it? Where were they when they wrote it? Why did they write it? you got to know the major themes of a book. you got to know what genre the writing of the book is. you got to be able to put that particular book and passage in the broader context of the Bible. you got to be aware of things like vocabulary in different languages. You got to be aware of things like syntax in Hebrew and Greek. You got to always be asking yourself as you're reading, what does this passage teach me about God? And what does it teach me about human beings? And how does it point me or connect me to Jesus? And what are the truths I find here about salvation and repentance and faith and 
obedience. All these questions you got to be asking as you read. And part of the key to this, I think, is just knowing the story of Scripture, knowing the big overarching story of the Bible. I taught a, an online Old Testament class at OBU, Oklahoma Baptist University, several years ago. And one of the things I made the students do is learn a 12-word summary of the Old Testament. You can't summarize the whole Old Testament in 12 words, but 12 is a good Old Testament number, and it's helpful to just have a few hooks that you can hang the Old Testament storyline on. Otherwise, you get into reading this long collection of 39 books that aren't chronological, and you don't really have a place to file everything mentally as you're trying to piece it all together. So it's helpful to have a, a basic understanding of the, the Old Testament storyline and of the New Testament storyline. Obviously, the New Testament is shorter. The storyline is not as complicated. But Bible readers, especially Bible preachers, really do need to have a, an understanding and they just need to be able to walk through the big pieces of Bible history. I think James Hamilton is helpful here. He's written a lot about biblical theology, and he just says it like this, quote, The best way to learn biblical theology, the best way to get yourself out of the world's way of thinking and into the Bibles is to study the Bible itself. Don't make this harder than it needs to be. Read the Bible a lot. I found that the best way for me to see the interconnectedness of the Bible is to read big chunks of the Bible in one sitting, end quote. I think he's exactly right. Those who want to preach have to be people who read the Bible from beginning to end regularly, consistently, whether that's multiple times a year, whether that's once a year, whether it's halfway through a year. They've got to be devoted to reading through the Bible in big chunks so they see the big picture so that in the task of preaching, when you're focusing on one little scene or episode, you understand where it fits into the overarching narrative of the Bible. One of the things I told the guys is super important as you're preparing to preach is that you've got to develop a big idea. One of the, the classic authors, teachers on preaching is John Broadus, and he calls this unity. Your sermon's got to have unity. Uh, Broadus says it's essential for instruction and conviction and persuasion. And so without going into the process of how you develop a big idea, I just want to say that as you're thinking about preaching, this is helpful in teaching in a classroom setting, but it's really helpful when you're standing up to preach a sermon. And there's, for the most part, going to be one-way communication. You're delivering a, a talk or a lecture or a sermon. It's really helpful to have a big idea. And the benefits are numerous, but the most important benefits of having a big idea is this. Number one, it governs everything that you're going to include in your sermon because everything you're going to include has to relate to that big idea. And secondly, it tells you what to exclude from your sermon. It's not easy when you've gone through the long process of studying to start cutting stuff out of your message, but you have to do that when those particular details or facts or ideas or thoughts or tangents don't line up with the big idea of your passage. And so it's very, very important in your sermon preparation process to come up with the big idea. What is the big idea of the text? 
there's a lot of other stuff that falls under the heading of preparation. I really love the Alistair Begg quote. Uh, he says it like this as just a big 30,000 foot summary of the, the preaching preparation process. He says, you've got to pray yourself ready. You've got to think yourself empty. You've got to write yourself full. You, excuse me, you've got to read yourself full. Then you've got to write yourself clear, pray yourself hot, be yourself, and forget yourself. It's a great summary. You've got to start with prayer. You've got to think for yourself before you dig into commentary. So you've got to get all of your thoughts about a passage out on paper or out on the screen. Then you've got to read yourself full. You do have to learn and study and read the commentaries and read books. Then you've got to write yourself clear. That's the process of coming up with a manuscript, first an outline, then a manuscript. Then you've got to pray. This is where you come back to the, the Holy Spirit. You've got to pray yourself hot. You've got to apply the passage to yourself. You want to stand up not like a man who's cold and dry, but like a man who's on fire. And then lastly, be yourself. Don't try to be somebody else. Just be the best version of you in your delivery. Delivery is the third section that you've got to cover when you're talking about teaching men to preach. You cover the preliminary things. You get everyone on the same page. You talk about sermon preparation. And then lastly, you've got to talk about delivery. And this is important because as Broadus points out, quote, a sermon in the strictest sense of the term exists only in the act of preaching. All that proceeds is preparation for a sermon. We're not just teaching people this process so they can write manuscripts. We're teaching people this process so they can stand up and talk to God's people about God's Word. And in my opinion, it's relatively easy to teach a process of study. You can lay it out for a guy. You can show him how to come up with an outline, a big idea, a manuscript. All of those things are, are relatively straightforward. It's much, much harder to teach and refine the skills of sermon delivery. And I really do think that there's some measure of giftedness that's required here. I think anyone can improve and anyone who's going to preach or teach ought to improve. But there's certainly some measure of giftedness that's got to be present when you're thinking about delivery. The big things that you have to keep in mind when you're thinking about your own sermon delivery, number one is clarity. You want people to understand what you're saying. You want people to understand ultimately not what you're saying, but what the Bible is saying. And so if people are going to understand, that means you need to be clear. And clarity has to be at the forefront of what you're trying to do. Secondly, there's got to be some emotion in the delivery, right? We're not just standing up as preachers and reading the weather report for the week. You've really got to communicate God's Word with passion and unction and earnestness. There's all sorts of words used for this, but there's got to be emotion. And then there's got to be sincerity. The people who are listening to you are making an evaluation, a judgment of you every minute of every sermon, and it's, is this guy really talking about something that he believes? And is he really talking about something that he actually cares about? And so you want to be clear, and you want to communicate with emotion, and you want to be sincere in your presentation. One of the things that's helped me recently is a short book by a guy named Max McLean. He wrote a book called Unleashing the Word. McLean is uh, an actor, a stage actor. For a long time, he was part of Redeemer Presbyterian in Manhattan with Tim Keller. He was a reader uh, in their church, a scripture reader. 
and he talks about the process for reading the Bible in public. And a lot of what McLean says is a bit theatrical for most of our churches, I think. But he does make a very valid point that before you stand up to read God's Word out loud, you really ought to practice reading it out loud. And I think a lot of pastors, a lot of preachers don't necessarily do this. They they read the text in their head throughout the week many, many, many times, but they don't ever actually stop to read it out loud. And reading out loud is an entirely different experience than reading in your head. And it's something that you ought to practice before you stand up and do it in front of, of uh, a congregation. When you think in terms of delivery, one of the most important things that a preacher needs to think about is eye contact. Body language is a, a big category that's important, but especially eye contact. Uh, reading a manuscript is one thing. Preaching a sermon is an entirely different thing. Uh, if you're a preacher and you're going to preach either regularly or occasionally, don't read your message. Work hard in preparation and study Find a, a way to use either a manuscript or notes or uh, color-coded highlighting of things in your notes. Whatever you need to do, use helps. That's fine, but don't read your message. Preach your message. You don't just want to get stuff out of your brain. You want to get stuff into the brain of other people. You don't just want to talk at people. You want to have a conversation with people. And Haddon Robinson says it like this, quote, in public speaking, the amateur says words. And I might add, you might just say those words by reading them off a page. The amateur says words. The professional, on the other hand, possesses a deep desire to communicate. Amateurs settle for getting their ideas out of their heads, while professionals strive to get ideas into our heads, end quote. And I think an important piece of that kind of communication is eye contact. You've got to look up at God's people in talking to them about the Scriptures. The last thing that I, I talked about with our guys in terms of delivery was sharing the gospel. Um, sharing the gospel in a sermon is not rambling about a passage and telling a bunch of stories, and then at the end you ask people to invite Jesus into their heart. Uh, I was at an event recently, and they gave a, a, quote, devotion, which was really long enough to fall in the category of sermon. And the guy just sort of rambled, and then at the end, he just tacked on a, hey, if you'd like to invite Jesus into your heart, close your eyes, raise your hand, all the rest. That's not sharing the gospel um, in a sermon. That's just sort of tacking on a, a manipulative invitation at the end. The way that you preach the gospel in every sermon is that you preach every passage in relation to Jesus. It's not that you have to find Jesus in every passage, but that it's preaching every passage in relation to Jesus. And that means that in every passage, you're asking yourself, what does this passage teach me about God? How do I see his character revealed in this passage. And on the flip side, what does this passage teach me about human beings as image bearers and specifically as sinners? Every passage in the Bible has something to say about one of those two things or both. Who is God and who are we? Uh, 
And then you've got to ask yourself, how does this passage point me to the fact that Jesus is the answer to my sin problem? And what does this passage teach me about repentance and faith? You're talking about those basic themes in every single passage. And as you talk about those themes, that's your, your opportunity to talk about the gospel, the holiness of God, the sinfulness of man, the person and the work of Christ, and the necessity of repentance and faith. So you cover the preliminary stuff, and then you teach the guy how to, how to prepare and study, and then you make some pointers and some suggestions and share some stuff about delivery. And then when it's all said and done, you have to actually preach. I mean, you can show diagrams and videos and YouTube and pictures of people riding a bike, but at some point you got to get on the bike and you got to ride. And so when you're done with all of this, you got to turn guys loose and you've got to actually let them preach. Uh, and like somebody learning how to ride a bike, they're going to fall, they're going to skin their knee. Uh, it's going to look awkward at first, uh, but that's all part of the process. And uh, in the end, final analysis, a sermon only exists when it's been delivered, not just when it's been studied and prepared and thought about, but when it's been delivered. Certainly, you can go to Bible college and seminary and take a class on preaching. They're available all over the place. Um, you can go to your local community college or university and you can take a class on public speaking. Why is it important to teach men in the local church to preach, I think John Stott gives a great answer in his book, Between Two Worlds. He says this, quote, the standard of preaching in the modern world is deplorable. I don't know that it's improved, by the way, since 1982. Standard of preaching in the modern world is deplorable. There are a few great preachers. This is the age of the sermonette, and sermonette, sermonettes make Christianettes. Much of the current uncertainty about the gospel and the mission of the church must be due to a generation of preachers which has lost confidence in the Word of God and no longer takes the trouble to study in depth and to proclaim it without fear or favor. We don't want to make Christianettes. We want to make Christians. We don't want to preach sermonettes. We want to preach sermons. And in any local church setting, that burden can't exclusively only fall to the pastor or to the staff members. That's got to fall to the congregation itself. And you want men in your local congregation to be able to teach faithfully and, and preach faithfully. And so teaching men how to preach is certainly an important task. One last thought from Stott in this whole process Stott says, pride is the chief occupational hazard of the preacher. That's true for me. That's true for any other regular pastor. That's true for anyone who would learn how to preach and teach a Sunday school class or stand up before their church family. Pride is the chief occupational hazard of the preacher, and we need to be aware of that going in. So there you go. Those are a few thoughts about not just preaching, but teaching preaching to men in your church. How is it that you actually would go about the process of teaching men in your congregation how to stand up and deliver the Word of God to His people? I hope it's something that you'll think about 
whether you use the approach we've used here at Emmanuel or you come up with something uh, entirely all on your own, I think it's a worthy uh, point to consider, and I think it's a worthy pursuit uh, for you to engage in in your local church context. So thanks for listening to the Regular Pastor Podcast. Uh, big thanks to our uh, faux sponsors, Truth for Life and Grace to you, uh, these men, among others, but these men have been impactful in my life, and I'm just thankful for the way that they've taught me how to preach, not in a classroom setting, but by example, uh, and they've been consistent and faithful in their preaching for decades and decades. So thank you to Beg and MacArthur. Uh, we love those guys. You can check us out online, regularpastor.com. Next month will be the season three finale and I'm excited. I'm super excited to welcome Chris and Lisa Harrington back to the Regular Pastor Podcast. Chris has been on before. Lisa has not been on before. Chris and Lisa run Nourishing the Nations, and uh, we've had them on in the past. We've talked about the ministry of Nourishing the Nations, but I'm looking forward to having them back. There's some new things going on with Nourishing the Nations, and uh, I'm excited to share those things with you and hopefully challenge you with the things that are going on uh, through that ministry. So until next time, this is the regular pastor out. <laughs> <laughs>